it doesn't matter what you do in this moment. It's all about everything that we put together this entire season. We don't have to have, you know, this A workout. You can have a bunch of B workouts put together. And again, the accumulation of all those workouts is going to end up with a really great result. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's John here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by You Can. The voice you just heard was that of Emma Bates, elite marathoner for the United States of America. Emma said one of the coolest things I've ever heard anyone say on this podcast. She said, we all need to learn how to dance with discomfort. In other words, if you want to reach your potential in anything you're pursuing, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to make discomfort your goal to dance partner. By embracing this notion, Emma was able to place second at the 2021 Chicago Marathon back in October. On that day, she became one of the 10 fastest female marathoners in U.S. history. Make no mistake about it, it wasn't an easy journey for her to achieve this milestone. But what's really cool is she admits she had to make some adjustments to her circumstances to finally experience the successes she's now having. We talk about those adjustments and the importance of enjoying the journey in this fun-filled conversation with Emma. We think you guys are going to love it. Now, before we get into this episode with Emma, we do want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to some of our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes. But even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than how you feel your body. It's also about how you feel your passion, your motivations, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast will take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're super excited to have you on this journey with us, you guys, and we hope we can give you a little bit more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now... On to the episode with Emma. All right, today's guest is Emma Bates, elite U.S. marathon runner who recently finished second at the Bank of America Chicago Marathon in 224 and will be representing the U.S. at the World Championships in Eugene, Oregon this summer. Emma's not only a rising star in the sport, she's openly shared her journey dealing with a divorce, a relocation, and setting up a new life in a new training environment. Thankfully, she's found happiness and that has translated to the best form of her career. We can't wait to learn more from her experience. Emma, thank you for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. Emma, tell us a little bit about how things are going for you right now. And we were talking a little bit about the weather. So how's everything going for you where you're at? Yeah, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. And it was like 60 degrees yesterday, but today it's getting real cold. The snow is about to hit. So it's good character building weather, I would say. (laughs) Um, My coach, Joe Bossard, he likes to, you know, make sure that we get really good training in, but like you can't control the weather. So we just kind of go with the flow. And if we have to be on the treadmill, we have to be on the treadmill. But it's great because I always have somebody to run with. Um, So we have two treadmills at our gym, which is great. So I can run next to somebody during it. Or we get outside and he'll be biking around, you know, in the ice and snow with us or driving. So um, it's it's a good setup and I am really happy. Um, I'm training for a half marathon right now and doing a 10K on the track in a couple of weeks. So been kind of getting my legs moving a little bit and just trying to work different systems because, uh, you know, since Chicago, you got to give yourself a mental break, a physical break. So I'm trying to get into like the shorter stuff so that I can get geared up again and be really excited for marathon training again in the summer. 
do you enjoy going down to the shorter stuff and sort of, I imagine you're doing a little bit more speed work or you will be doing it when you get closer to the race. Is that stuff that you find that you enjoyed after a long marathon buildup and dedicating yourself to longer distances? I actually hate the shorter distance training. It's the bane of my existence, I swear. I am not great at track workouts. Um, I'm really lucky to have teammates that kind of pull me along. But the marathon training is where I thrive, where I feel my best. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm running like 120 miles a week when I'm doing marathon training. And that's when I feel like I have the most energy. When I'm doing like track stuff and faster stuff, it's around 90 miles per week. But I just like the intensity is so is so much higher with the, the shorter distance stuff. So I like to just kind of get more into a slower methodical rhythm. I'm definitely a slow burning type of runner. So I like to just kind of get out there for 20 to 24 miles and just kind of maintain. So to kind of get that, you know, my butt kicked into gear, you know, a little bit more is I have to think a lot more. So that's been challenging, but I've noticed that after that kind of training, the marathon pace starts to feel a lot easier and I'm able Mm -hmm. to get rhythm a lot quicker and get into that flow state a lot sooner during marathons because of that quicker pace that I've done in the track workouts and the half marathon distance type stuff. Well, can I ask you real quick then, you were a very good 10K runner in in college and you had a lot of success on the track in college. How do you feel now being removed? Do you feel differently about it? You've adopted a a marathon runner's mentality or um, are you able to approach it differently? Yeah, I... I like the road races a lot better, just more because of the atmosphere. There's so many Mm -hmm. people that are in a road race and it could be, you know, people that have never trained before people, you know, that are elite or in the middle. So it's so nice to see all those different variations of runners and goals and people getting after, you know, just like certain aspirations that they have in Mm -hmm. just life and running. But the track is different because it's that really hyper-focused individuals that are at the elite level. And it's fun in its own way, but I like to laugh and kind of dance around and be like loose before races. And that's (laughs) what you get at road races with all these people and especially like all the spectators that come out. And it's more of like a party for me rather than getting on the track. It's a little more serious. So that's how I approach it now. When I am going to go on the track in a couple of weeks, like it's just like, get, get it done. You know, it's just like all business kind of thing, um, which I maybe should try to bring that kind of energy onto the track. But it, it's tough when everybody is just, you know, like they have these really big goals of making the Olympic trials or the Olympic yeah. teams. And it's just, it's a different kind of energy. I, I don't think you should change it at all, Emma, because <laughs> um, it works for you, first of all. And second, uh, I don't know. I was a track guy. I mainly did track stuff. I was a, um, mainly running the mile and it's pretty intense. I don't know. I mean, it's important to be able to bring that joy and that fun to it because I feel like when you're more loose and you're having fun with it, I feel like you run at your best anyway. And so that level of intensity that there is a distinction between the track and the road races that you're describing. And I think that the road racing is in a lot of ways, a heck of a lot more fun. It's not It's not as intense and as stressful. And I think that you can kind of feel a little bit more of that freedom to enjoy the experience and I think get more out of yourself. So I don't know, keep running with that joy and that happiness. I think that's, I think that leads to greater performances like the one you just had uh, in Chicago. 
Absolutely. I'll try to bring that on the track in a couple of weeks. People might get annoyed with me, but yeah, that's just like, that's how I function. That's just how I, you know, go about life is just like positive and happy and fun and yeah, lighthearted. For everybody who's going to get annoyed with you, there's probably somebody else there who's going to be like, oh, that's how I want to be. Like, <laughs> it's like, I can't believe she can be that way. Yeah. I would, I would look at it, honestly. It might even be a competitive advantage for you. I think, like you said, the formality of the track, the the business nature, the elite, the, the, the focus, all this stuff, everything that makes everybody get so tense and so like intense about it, you can loosen it up and, and arrive there. Also, you already know it's not your main priority. You're, you're there as part of a larger plan. You don't have the pressure on you. I think it'll be a competitive advantage for you to show up and just be loose and and uh, and go for it. So I, honestly, I, I agree with John. I actually look back on my running when I was really competing and I don't think I ever figured out the way I needed to like be to run my best consistently if that makes sense like before a race like when you're when you're showing up there's some people who who have a who are very regimented in a routine and there's some people who are very loose and just kind of and kind of talkative and, and out meeting people john is somebody who could go to a meet before a race and meet someone and become friends with that person for life and you know and i'm at the race going i don't want to talk to anybody i gotta focus and um i think um if you know it works for you then uh, i don't think you should worry too much about the setting i think you should do what works for you yeah, and same same goes for like people that are a little more intense. It's like whatever you bring yeah. to like mm-hmm. the workouts, the kind of energy that you need to bring to the races because that's what your body knows and that's what it's going to respond to. What I discovered when I felt like I kind of started to figure things out for myself, um, it was thinking about how I framed or looked at um, track, right, and my competition or the races. When I changed it from just competing and trying to win, and I started thinking about it more like oh, it's a performance. And I'm not necessarily there to entertain the crowd, but in many ways I was there to put on a show, you know? And I'm not like this showman type of person, but internally I wanted to have that way of thinking and then bring that to the way that I executed the race. So I I ran like I was performing and that's how I felt on the inside. And so that's what showed up in the races. And because I felt that way, I was able to run the way that I felt was more true to me. And in turn, I had, you know, big breakthroughs and was able to, in many ways, I think, reach uh, or come close to reaching my full potential. And so, I don't know, I kind of feel like you got to find what what makes you feel good out there. And in many ways, I think is true to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much to be said, though, for like, you know, trying to connect with with the audience, with the fans. I mean, that's why you run so much better at races is because you have all this energy of people and kind of connecting with them in that way. Like when I did Chicago, I was making eye contact with people and interacting with people, waving and giving them thumbs up and stuff like that. And that's when I felt the most energy. I was getting energy from them and that was carrying me forward. And so just having that mentality of taking in everything around you and and just using that as just motivation because yeah having it as a performance is something that I think would help a lot of people when you're so tense and like not wanting to interact with everybody then you're just so closed off and then it's just you and yourself Uh and I think that gets a little too intense and you put too much pressure on yourself because it's just you out there but yeah bringing everybody in around you just running more for yourself is is yeah freeing yeah can I ask you about a phrase that I'm assuming it's a quote but you described yourself as not being a running robot And you were talking about the role your emotions play in your ability to run well. And this seems to relate. You're talking about feeding it off of the crowd, getting the energy, utilizing the situation that you're in. I guess I would ask you, you know, 
what does it mean to you when you describe yourself as not being a running robot? Yeah, I, I personally am a very emotional runner and I don't know how many people are like this as well, but if I am upset or sad or mad in my like personal life, my running is going to crumble. I cannot, you know, yes, yes. John That's me. <laughs> you have to be happy in order to have the energy to pick your legs up and move as fast as you can because I don't know, it's just so weighing everything, all the stress of life is a weight on my shoulders and I just feel so heavy. And so mm. some people can really thrive off of chaos and trying to prove people wrong, mm. but I'm all about just enjoying the process and and really just folding into just a greater mindset of positivity and joy and happiness. And that's when I run my best. Yeah. Thank I'd you. love to ask you then, then uh, I'm so sorry, Brian. No, I just, that sounds um, like you, John. That's it. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No. It, well, Brian and I went to college together at UCLA. So he knows, like he saw me go through the yeah. journey before I had my breakthrough by 2005. So I went to school 2000 through 2005 at UCLA and, it, I was not the runner that I was um, by at, by 2005 in 2000 when I was a freshman. So I was a very emotional runner. And I mean, I had every which way, you know, showing my emotions. I cried. I, I broke down. I was a mess for the first two years, you know, at UCLA. And I had to figure out how to manage my emotions and both with personal stuff and just with my frustrations with my running. How in the world was I going to get to this place that I believed I should be as a runner and still navigate life outside of the track? And it took a lot of work seeing a therapist, a sports psychologist, and a lot of good support from my teammates and, and thinking through a lot of stuff. I did a lot of journaling, honestly. That was one of one of the big things that helped me. But I was a very emotional runner and I struggled as a runner until I figured out how to manage my emotions better and find a way to be true to myself, which was I loved running happy as well. I run best when I'm happiest as well. So figuring out how to get to that place was really one of the biggest challenges I had to overcome while I was at UCLA. And Brian witnessed that. So he knows that I had to come a long way to get to where I ended up getting to as a runner. And yeah, I mean, I think everything is all about balance. And if your life isn't balanced, like your social life or whatever schoolwork or your job isn't balanced, then I mean, mm -hmm. that's just going to throw everything off. And that's what is so great about being an emotional runner or emotional athlete is that life comes first, you know, running is second right. always. Right. And that just is so much better for like, just life in general, just having relationships with people, putting them first and then running is second. That's really nice rather than it being, you know, the opposite. And I think a lot of, you know, coaches forget that, especially in college student athletes, it's not sure. an student. So um, as long as your schoolwork is going well and your personal life is going well, it typically runs into running and athletics. I have a question for you then. Speaking of balance outside of running, what are some stuff that you do to have fun outside of running that translates or carries itself into your training and performances as a runner? I have a lot of hobbies right now. I'm lucky to be a professional runner. So I have a lot of free time, especially like I run two hours a day. We do some lifting and stuff like that. But more as a lot of other athletics is taking up like way more time. So I have a lot of free time, which is really, really nice. So I'm doing a lot of different hobbies. I love to be outside as much as I can though. So hiking and backpacking, stuff like that. But there's certain things that I like, I want to plan for post running as well. So I read a lot of books, especially about sports psychology. And so that 
that's something that I'm very passionate about it. And I love to talk to people about it. And that's why I love to talk about the life balance of running and, and just life in general, because I think it's so important. And I never saw a sports psychologist um, during my career. I just had always read on things and just really reflected on my past experiences and just kind of go from there. And so I really want to go back to school to get the credentials for it so that I can actually help athletes and not just in their sports performance, but just in life in general. I think a lot of athletes, you know, we tend to withdraw in ourselves and we think that nobody else feels the same way. And Mm -hmm. whether it be because of your sport or because of life stresses, I think that having somebody to go to, to be like, what, what you're going through is completely normal and either help them through like the sports side of it or send them to an actual therapist where they can, you know, dive deeper into their psyche. And maybe there's something else at hand that they need to uncover. That's not just sports related so that they can get their life on track. And then sports will come after that. I love that. As soon as you started talking about sports psychology stuff, I'm like, oh my God, okay, we could go down a ton of rabbit holes here because this is my oh, yeah. <laughs> thing, right? But what I wanted to say is less about the the individual stuff. The fact that you're reading the books, I think is so important because figuring out what you need to do to be great is learning new ways to see your own experiences and learning how to mm-hmm. identify something that might be holding you back and you don't even see it. Maybe it's a therapist to point it out. Maybe it's a book points it out. Maybe it's a friend, a, a teammate who, who points it out. But you need to continually be like engaging with the sport in different ways in order to sort of get a holistic view of what you're trying to do, I think. And I think sports psychology books are particularly good for that because they're literally pointing out things that most of us are probably overlooking all the time. And the way we interpret our situations, the way we view the world, the way we frame our successes and failures and stuff. So I, I think it's a it's absolutely a wonderful strategy for continuous improvement. Absolutely. And I just want to be giving back to the sport as much as I can. Um, You know, it's hard when you're in it, when you're like a professional runner, you're very selfish, but like you have to be because, you know, your training comes first and there's a lot of energy that you put in there mentally and physically. So I want to give back as much as I can once I'm done running or, you know, the latter end of my career and really help people and kind of share in my experience. And, you know, that's why I like talking on podcasts and talking, you know, just to anybody in Mm. the sport in general, just because I feel like I have a lot of insight and I've gone through a lot of ebbs and flows and a lot of emotional things and just my personal life that I can, you know, really help people in that way. So that's something that is a big goal of mine, just to give back to our community because it's a really special community. And I, I think it's much needed. And I hope that I can be of some help in some way to somebody out there. Yeah, it seems quite evident. If, if, if anybody follows you on social media, you're very much about giving back. You're very much about being active in the community. You stand up for what you believe in, but you speak about what you believe in. And I think that's really evident in terms of who you are as a person and also as a runner. I wanted to point out or ask specifically, is there anything that you've been reading recently as far as books that you might recommend for our listeners that that you feel is worth sharing? Yeah, there's um, actually an Instagram page called The Holistic Psychologist. It's not sports performance specific, but it's all about just trying to find who you are, becoming aware of yourself and Mm -hmm. why your upbringing has so much weight on that and the traumas that you experience as a child and the traumas that your parents carry over. And it's really special. Like, I didn't realize how much your parents influence every act and every behavior, every reaction that you have to so many things in life, especially stressors. That is really, really important to me is just like trying to 
become aware of those things, but also to let them go and to forgive your parents and to understand that they're humans too. And to try to break that cycle and to try to like reframe your mindset of certain things that might trigger you or become negative and trying to like find a new perspective on it. So I think there's so many sports performance books, but I like to go to the more psychological books of just life stress stuff and then carry that over into running. When it comes to running, I read a lot of mindfulness books because Mm -hmm. they give you a lot of different strategies about how to be more in the moment. And so a mindful athlete is a great one. There's an analogy of when you're really uncomfortable in a race and you know that really just painful feeling, like you're always going to go through a painful experience during a race, but meeting that pain, that discomfort and doing a dance with it and just becoming friends with that discomfort. And it becomes so much more manageable and you're able to really just envelop yourself in it and get through it, kind of ride that wave and just go with that flow. And that has helped me a lot when I get the most uncomfortable during races or, or workouts. I've heard you talk about yeah. that, doing the dance with it. And I, I love that idea because, you know, it is inevitable. You are going to get to that point in the race where you feel like is maximal pain. And like you said, if you don't have a strategy for how you're going to respond to it, you might succumb to it, right? And if you can get yourself in a place of positivity about it and, and embrace it, I think you have a much better chance of withstanding it. And I, and I honestly... I look back on this, I didn't have some of these tricks and, 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 and strategies and systems when I was in college and I was really running competitively, but the times when I was most prepared and I was most ready for it and I, I got on the line and in my best fitness, I, I was better able to kind of do the dance when the point came, right? It's funny thinking back and trying to apply some idea like this on, on a past experience, but I think um, it really resonates with me. I love the visual imagery of it too, right? It's a great way to think about dealing with that point of a race. And to welcome it and not dread it is yeah, the yeah. biggest thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I remember when I started running actually well near the end of my um, collegiate career. And a lot of my teammates were asking me, well, what are you doing differently? They were kind of shocked. They're like, I, I can't believe how much of a breakthrough you were having. And I would say this. I would I had two sayings. I said, one, I said, I was chasing the lactic acid. You know, I said, when it, when things started to hurt, I ran harder instead of backing away from it. I went after it. I said, I don't want to be afraid of you. I don't want to be afraid of, of my body turning off or shutting down, redlining, so to speak. I said, I wanted to break through. And I said, the only way to do that was to get comfortable with being uncomfortable or to chase the lactic acid. So I had this attitude and literally I would pass out halfway through workouts because I was like, I'm going to do it exactly the way coach said, if not better than, and if I can't finish the workout, I became okay with that result. And eventually I increased my threshold. I got to the point where it was almost, I couldn't get tired. It Mm -hmm. it was actually hard to get tired in workouts. And then that's where I really started to break through and run really big times. And that's a very scary place to go though for a lot of people because they don't want to be that uncomfortable every single hard workout. But I said, well, I have two choices. Either I do that and I find out how good I can be or I don't. And I I stay stuck where I'm at and I just stay at that wall of like, well, I'm always going to be wondering what's on the other side of that pain and discomfort. And it's where greatness lives, really, you know, and that's that's the challenge is can you get comfortable with that and be okay with that that difficult dance? 
Well, and even if you slow down, sometimes it's just as hard. I mean, you does not feel any easier a lot of times. Yeah. You may as well go faster at that point, you know. Isn't that yes. what, isn't that true? Right? It's like it's like the moment you have a choice to slow down, you think to yourself, "Yeah, I'm going to slow down," and it doesn't make you feel any better. <laughs> it's, you're still you might even feel worse at the end of the race. All of these these mental uh, tricks and illusions we have to navigate in the middle of a race, especially you know. And I, we have a friend named Scott who always used to say when you're doing a long race, like the last 20% of the race, your, your IQ keeps going down as you, as, as you go further in the race so that like your ability to like solve problems or think clearly, or it just keeps getting lower and lower. So you have to have the plan in hand and you have to practice it when you're practicing yeah. in, in all your training, because you're not going to come up with some innovative solution in the middle of a race at mile 22 of a marathon. All you can do is execute the one thing you can remember at that point, right? So I always like that other frame of know exactly what you're going to do because you're not going to be able to come up with new ideas at the end of a race. You're, you're mentally going to be way beyond that point. Absolutely. And that's the fun thing about the process too. That's what I've enjoyed the most is just having a mantra every time I get mm -hmm. into a different training cycle. And so methodical and patient was the, the mantra for this training cycle in Chicago. And every time like I would get flustered or the pace was picking up and it was a little intense, I would just think methodical and patient, just keep going, just keep turning away and be intentional about every step, every mile, and it'll all come together. Well, could you tell us a little bit about that performance? Uh, first of all, like in terms of what it meant to do so well uh, in Chicago? Yeah, it was a bit unexpected with how well I did, just given the conditions. I'm not very well known for running well in the heat. And it was a very, very hot day, very humid day. And most people faltered, but I mm -hmm. PR'd by, you know, a minute, which was very unexpected. I wanted to be in the top three because I had taken fourth place in the 2019 Chicago Marathon. But you have certain visions and you have goals that you set out for yourself every day and every, you know, training run that you do. But for it to actually come to fruition and for it to actually, you know, like, to not only podium, but to be second place um, to a very, very uh, good runner and to beat people that you've never beaten before and to run faster than you ever have is something that is just like, you know, I don't, I don't understand how I can do that because, you know, the certain pace that you have to run in a marathon, like I can barely do, you know, now in a training run. It's like, how did I do that for 26.2 miles? It's, it's mm. incredible. Like all of the training that you put in, it's not just physical, it's mental as well, all comes onto this day. And if you hit it on the right day, I mean, it's just magic happens. And that's, that's what it was. And just being so trusting in the system and so trusting in the process and having that trust in my coach that we did everything we could to prepare for that day was, you know, I had a lot of confidence going in it, but you never know what's going to happen. And so it was really cool for it to actually come into exactly how we envisioned it. We had a guest early on in the show, Bo Sandoval, who's the strength and conditioning coach for the UFC fighting. And he had this quote, which is basically, um, how many times have you stepped in the cage knowing you're 100% ready? Right. And that's mm -hmm. something he asks his athletes. And it sounds like you stepped on the line in, in Chicago and you knew you were 100 percent ready. And that's I always believe that that's the single thing that can sort of unlock those magical performances because it removes all the lack of confidence. Right. Like the, the mm -hmm. it, it, it just if you step on the line and you know you're not 100 percent ready, it's like all the cracks in the armor that are going to show up later in the race. Like the, that's mm -hmm. going to be the source of them. Right. Um I want to ask about methodical patience. So did that mantra play a role in the race itself? Did you rely on it at any point during the race? Yeah, especially early on. It was around like mile eight or nine that um, I started feeling just really not not well because the, the, the pacer was, you know, starting to pick it up or felt like it was 
it was being picked up, but, um, I just like was going through a rough patch of that race and Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, if I would be able to catch back up to that group. And so I turned to my coach and he was there and he was like, you, you know what to do. You know what you're doing. He trusted me to be instinctual enough to pull back a little bit. And it's like, you know, I don't need to tack it now because all the training that I put in, it was, there was never a moment in training where it was just like, this is I'm so fit. I'm so ready. This is it. It was always just like an accumulation of really decent workouts. There was never one that stood out. It was just an accumulation of really solid runs of where I would just work into it. And, you know, the beginning of each workout, I would maybe feel that same way of discomfort. And I don't know if I can pick it up, but then eventually, you know, if I was patient enough and didn't press it too much too soon, I was able to really excel or accelerate into the run. And so that's what happened during the race was, you know, I picked it up and the end because I was patient enough to wait until my body was able to respond, you know, do what it needs to do. I just kind of got my brain out of the way. Um, So kind of got into the flow state once I became more Mm -hmm. methodical and patient about it because you just stopped thinking and stopped forcing it. Can you just really quickly define flow state? Because you've said it quite a few times. I just want to make sure that we point that out because that's actually a really cool, um, I don't know if it's like a concept or something like that. It's a real thing to get into the flow of something, to be in that flow state. But I think, I don't know if a lot of people even know what that is. I don't know what the exact definition is, but it's when like your body and your mind are working as one. And it's just when everything kind of falls away and you're on autopilot almost. And that is what you want, especially during a marathon, because it's such a long race. And so you just lose track of time. I mean, there was five or six miles that I I don't remember from the race just because I was in that flow state for that long. Well, that's that's nice. That's That's really nice. Your race was shorter than everybody else. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right. so I really ran 20 miles. You know? yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's powerful, though. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And that's when you run your best. I mean, I have not gone into the flow state in every marathon or every race mm-hmm. that I've done, but that was the time that I actually was able to get into that rhythm of just, yeah, you don't remember what, you know, your legs were doing. They were just kind of doing it on their own. And that's such an amazing thing. And you can only really get that from training. Yes. I don't think people really get that from just going out, you know, couch to 5k kind of thing. You got to train your mind and your body to work as one. And that's something that I've, you know, definitely um, gotten better at over the years. And I'm very, very lucky to find that more and more each race I've done. No, the couch to 5k thing is like just going numb because <laughs> your, body's, your body's in shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one more question about this mantra. And it, it's when you chose it, Were you guys emphasizing a strength or were you trying to improve upon a weakness or did you have a strategy for why you chose the methodical patience as your mantra? Yeah, it was Joe, my coach that ended up um, saying it to me during certain runs and workouts. And I think he has really excelled as my coach because he understands exactly what I need. And I don't need to be told to go faster. I just need to be held back and get into my own Zen, my own mode. And that was something that he wanted to tell me during each run, because it doesn't matter what you do in this moment. It's it's all about, again, just like 
everything that we put together this entire season. We don't have to have, you know, this A workout. You can have a bunch of B workouts put together. And again, the accumulation of all those workouts is going to end up with a really great result. So like just be intentional in this, you know, specific rep, even like we would do 400 meter repeats and he would just be like, be methodical, be patient. And it reminded me to not get in over my head. It reminded me to run within myself. And he's always about run hard, but make it easy. And so for me, that makes just running so much more intentional because you're trying to run hard, but you're not trying to cross that line of discomfort. And like, you're just trying to find a rhythm within your own body that makes sense and is relaxed enough. Because I mean, especially with a marathon, you can't be forcing it the entire way. You have to be relaxed at a certain point. And so to be relaxed running as fast as I was, that was what our goal was. And so that reminded me to just kind of get back into my own thing. So it sounds like he highlighted a, I don't want to say it's a, it's a weakness. It's, it was a, it was a way to utilize your strengths. Like your strength is you're going to want to go faster. So let's control it. Let's put a little bit of constraint on it. That's really smart. I really like it. Um, I, So you've talked a lot about your coach and the role he played here. I want to just ask you, it's funny, like uh, as an emotional runner, what has it been like changing environments and moving to Boulder and joining a new team, yeah. new coach, new everything? Uh, like, it feels like that has had a huge uh, effect on your experience as a as an elite runner. Yeah, I mean, the main reason I wanted to be on this team was for the team. It wasn't even for Joe, the coach. Like, I just wanted to be amongst people that had these same goals and same visions. And just talking to him, I knew that he was going to be somebody that wasn't going to be so hyper focused on each individual. Like, he's very individualized, but he trusts you to get your stuff done. And that's what is so nice. It's like, we're all, you know, very experienced runners coming together and we know what to do. We come to practice and we get our stuff done. And that's just so great. We still have so much fun doing it, but is like a business. This is our job. And like, just no, like, no outside stresses because I know that when I go to practice, this is what is expected of me and everything like that. So I think that has helped me so much just get into more of a routine. Before I moved here, it was just kind of like, you know, just kind of all over the place and a little mm-hmm. bit of chaos, which I do okay in, but um, it there's more thinking involved. And so I think the less thinking that I have to do, um, the better or the more energy I can put into my running. And so having him and having the team and having places to, to run and not having to think about, you know, like where I'm going to run today or what time I'm going to run, you know, we run at the same time every day and we have certain places that we go. And that's, what's so fun about it is just like kind of getting into a habit so that I don't have to waste energy thinking about certain things. So that has been all the difference. Yeah. You're speaking Brian's language. This guy <laughs> loves to talk about environment. He loves to talk about environment and how it impacts our ability to really be our best, to get the most out of ourselves. And I, I mean, I, I want to just kind of repeat what you said because, I, I don't know, I struggled with this. is one of those things where I, I kind of took it for granted, the idea that if you can put yourself in a situation where you don't have to think as much, I almost felt like I wanted to figure it out. But if you can go somewhere or be in a situation or work with somebody that kind of eliminates too much thinking so that you put more energy towards the thing that you're trying to be good at, which is performing and running and training. That's better for you because like you said, you're redirecting more energy towards the one thing that ultimately you want to be doing really well or doing at your best. So environment, 
allowed you to reduce the amount of thinking you were doing so that you can actually put more thinking or energy towards your running. That's powerful. And I hope more people can see that, like put yourself in a situation where you can put more of your energy towards the thing you want to be great at. And it's not being sucked away or put towards something else that's not going to help you at all. That's a really big deal. So I loved, I loved hearing it. I wanted to emphasize that. Absolutely. Community is everything. Yeah. I have a, um, I think people underestimate it. I really do. I really think that we know that like what we can control is sort of our effort and how much we we put into something. And it's really healthy to think that way. Like it's really important to embrace that that your effort is is what's going to make a difference and that your preparation and your discipline and all these things that that are sort of like I think of them as like internal traits to yourself that you're going to apply them and you're going to be successful. But like so much of your ability to apply them consistently is not having your environment throw hurdles in your way and obstacles in what you're trying to do, right? If you can turn training into a routine where it's at the same place, the same time, every day, same people, same, you know, the expectations are there. You know what's expected of you to do beforehand. You know what's expected of you afterwards and family obligations or work obligations or for all of us who who might not be training full-time as elite athletes, you've got all these other obligations you have to manage too. And if those things are interfering with what you're trying to do, it's going to affect your ability to apply your energy, to put your effort in, to to prepare accurately for what you need to do. So anyway, I'm a huge believer that in some sense, I feel like we're only as good as the environment we can get ourselves into, right? Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you found a great environment for yourself, one where you're really thriving. I'm very, very lucky. And yeah, I was unsure at first, um, but you know, you have to make that leap sometimes in order to accomplish your goals or to accomplish, you know, a sense of happiness and fulfillment. And that's where I I thought I would thrive here. And sure enough, it's just such a great community. And Boulder is a pretty easy place to live because there's a lot of people that run here. So there's always somebody Ah. that I can live with. And again, that's the community coming into is like, you just have to surround yourself with people that are like-minded and have those same ambitions and goals as you. Yeah, that's one of the biggest factors is you got to be around people that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing or that have done it before, because that just gives you a much better chance of success, you know, because yeah, they can show you the way, you know. Is there anything you've learned specifically from the teammates that you've joined? I mean, I think Emma's the most famous one I know of in terms of the success she's had on the world stage. But what have you learned from your teammates there? I've learned the same thing from most of them that they're just like so confident in what they do and they just know themselves so well. And I think, again, it comes from experience. We're all like, you know, our late 20s, early 30s. And so it's just such a different team than what I've ever experienced before because we're all so sure of ourselves and know exactly what we need to get done. And that's what has been so easy and relaxed about it is just, we've been here, we've done this and we just get it done. And um, there's so many different quirks of everybody. And you see like, you know, especially like when injuries happen and stuff like that, but everybody is so just good about bringing a positive attitude to every practice and every, you know, we spend so much time together outside of practice too, that it's just like such a great, collaboration and community and we just really enjoy each other's company so it doesn't feel like work ever because it's just like a bunch of my friends which is amazing that's awesome um that's the dream right there before we wrap up you're training all right now for a 10k and then a half marathon long term you're going to the world championships you're going to be running the marathon there any thoughts on probably a hot summer marathon uh, in eugene this this summer yeah yeah 
So, yep, uh, World Championships are July 18th. So probably start training for that in April. And, yeah, I mean, just like just trying to, you know, acclimate myself as much to that humidity because it was, you know, 116 degrees in Eugene last year. And that that was that was tough. And I only did a 10K at the trials last year, but doing a full marathon, you're going to have to prepare in some capacity for that kind of feeling. So going to try to figure that out, you know, midsummer, whether or not go to go to actual Eugene and train Mm -hmm. there for a while, or just try to find somewhere hot and wear a bunch of clothes and, you know, just kind of get used to that feeling again. Well, Emma, I want to wrap up with our last question. We always ask, um, you know, we name this podcast Fueling the Pursuit, and you're clearly pursuing success as a marathoner today. What piece of advice would you give our audience to help fuel the mindset they need to excel in their lives? The biggest thing is just being balanced. I mean, that's like just enjoying your life first, and then running will come secondary, but enjoying the process also, like don't Um, get so wrapped up in the results. It's all about just like the everyday, the little things, going to practice and doing workouts that you enjoy. I feel like so many of us do workouts that we just like dread or, you know, just don't feel good doing. And so, I mean, I know working on our weaknesses is is important, but um, to maintain like a level of just enjoyment and fulfillment in the sport, I think you need to do certain things that make you keep coming back for more and get you excited to train every single day because the process is the only way that you're going to get through this entire sport and and have a long career or a long you know place of going after your goals um so i think that's the biggest thing is enjoy the process but whatever that means for you i love that i'll reference something that i've been going through uh and sharing with my stepson who's an elite high school runner and he's trying to go to the next level graduating and moving on to the collegiate level this next fall and we read this book uh by dan millman called the peaceful warrior Mm-hmm. And then we just watched the movie. And there was a part in the movie that makes me think about what you just said, which is you're really enjoying the process and, and enjoying the journey, right? So the, the Socrates takes Dan's character, Dan Melba's character, on this hike at the end of the movie. And they're talking about how Socrates says how excited Dan was the entire time, three-hour hike. And he's like, I can't wait to see the thing you're going to show me when we get to the top of this hill. And, and, and he gets to the top of the hill. And Dan's like what is it that you're going to show me? And Socrates is like, I don't know. And he's like, what are you talking about? You built up this whole thing and now I'm here and you'd have nothing to show me. He says, well, I didn't know what we were going to see till we got up here. (laughs) And he's like, I think it was maybe this rock. And he he points to a rock on the ground. And then all of a sudden Dan's all upset. And then Socrates is like, well, geez, I guess you missed the whole point of the journey up here. And he's like, what are you talking about? He says, well, the last three hours, you couldn't have been any more giddier and happier than you were going on the journey. And he says, as soon as you got to the destination, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. And I said, the whole point of the whole, that whole moment, I looked at my stepson and I said, what do you think the whole point of that whole thing is? And he says, it's all about the journey, not the destination. Because by the time you get to the destination, no matter what it is, a gold medal or whatever it might be, he says, the whole point, the whole thing was you're excited to get to that moment. So it's really about all that other stuff before the destination that really matters. And so enjoying the journey, that's where the gold is. That's where the, the joy really is gonna be. And so I, I wholeheartedly love how you're approaching your career. I, I'm excited for your success, but I'm glad that you're enjoying the journey, Emma, because it's, mm-hmm. it's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. 
And that's, that's the only way I've found success is because I've enjoyed it. And that's the biggest thing for me is in the past, I didn't enjoy it. And the results showed that it wasn't for me. So um, that's, that's my biggest advice. Yeah. Just like enjoy this, this moment, be so mindful, like just be where you are right now and be happy and show gratitude and just, yeah, be, be you. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Emma, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patent ingredient known as Superstarch to help deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit, both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit youcan.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show, to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products. And please continue to listen to our bonus conversation with Emma about how she uses UCAN to optimize her training and competition results. All right, Emma. We have been uh, talking about emotions. We've been talking about training environment. We've been talking about energy. And UCAN is the world's leading energy company. And we wanted to have a couple questions and, and find out a little bit from you about how you use UCAN and how it's played a role in your training or your competition. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how you use UCAN today? Yeah, UCAN is unique because I've never used a product like every day, like I typically just save it for workout days and stuff, but they have so many different things like almond butter and granola and bars. And so I'm constantly fueling before my workouts with all this stuff. And especially like in the mornings, I am just a stickler for the same thing. I like peanut butter and jelly and coffee in the morning. So I do the almond butter instead of the peanut butter now. (laughs) And it is so good. And like, I just... The, the starch that they put in the almond butter just carries me through every single run. doesn't matter if it's an easy run or a long run or a workout. It's so great. And then during my runs, I've been doing the gels, which I am so, so happy that you can has made some gels because I don't like to do the drink. I'm just really uncoordinated when it comes to running <laughs> and drinking at the same time. So to have like this little pouch where I can just like squeeze into my mouth, is so much easier for me. And they taste so, so good as well. Like it's more like a liquid rather than the really thick gels that I think most people are used mm-hmm. to. And so they just go down so, so smoothly. So I just only take those on long runs or workout days, which is great. So I just feel so good. And I only have to take one or two, which I was normally taking four or five during a lot of my runs because I would just get these energy spikes and then crashes right away. But these last so long. And I love that because it's so, it's so reflective of the marathon. You don't want those heavy energy spikes and crashes because you want just that longevity of energy throughout the entire thing, especially you don't want to have to put down so much stuff, your stomach Mm -hmm. gets pretty upset. And so doing less of that, I am such a runner that is slow burning anyway, just like I I don't burn very hot. And so having that kind of fuel just makes sense for me and makes sense for the marathon. So I am so impressed with this technology. And I didn't think that I'd find something that is so good on my stomach that makes me feel so good for so long as well. 
And then the energy powder is so good too. Um, recovering after these long runs and these workouts is so important. And so I've been really incorporating that a lot more than I ever have. And because nice. I actually like the taste of it, um, the energy powder that they have is a cookies and cream flavor. So it's just like, I, I used to dread protein powders. My coaches would always try to push it on me, but I'm actually like wanting and craving these energy powders now, which is so cool and so, so unique to just like who they are. And um, I, I just really enjoy the brand too, because of what they're all about. They were started because of Jonah, who was the founder's son that had this glycemic imbalance. And so just like knowing that it was started from something that was meant to save a kid's life, this young mm -hmm. boy that, you know, um, just had so many issues. And so for it to be warped into this performance product is something that's so special because there's so much more meaning behind it. And I think that's really cool. And it started all with Meb Kofleski and he like reached out and he's, you know, like one of the big names of this, this company of UCAN. And if it worked for him, I mean, I'm really excited to just kind of, you know, follow this journey and, and really kind of try to follow in his footsteps because he's a great icon. He's amazing. And I agree 100% with you about so many things. I'm going to point out the peanut butter and jelly one because I love peanut butter and jelly in the morning. My wife is Japanese and would never think to eat that for breakfast. But I, I, <laughs> so I have eaten many a peanut butter and jelly sandwich first thing in the morning. Um, but almond butter from UCAN is not something I've put on it. So I'm now I have a new thing to try. Um, yeah, all right. So good. if somebody's new to UCAN and they're considering trying it out, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think you should always experiment with different things. Like some things aren't going to work for certain people. And I think starting off with a UCAN edge is something that I would go towards more just because during uh, training, fueling is so important for the marathon. And I feel like people don't train enough in their workouts or in their like training cycles, they just like kind of go into the races and try it. And your body just isn't, it's not going to be very happy having this foreign element in you. So like training during your long runs and in your training runs is very, very important to kind of consume these things and to see how many you need too. Cause I mean, I always thought I need a lot more, but it's actually a lot less than I thought. And I'm um, just like knowing your body and knowing what you can put down and still maintain that, that pace that you want to hit. Um, so I honestly say that if you can't put anything down, you need to slow down. You need to like back it up a little bit because mm. the fueling is the most important thing. You want to get those things down. And so the UCAN edge is, is something that I think people will really enjoy and especially because they're really easy to get down. My last question is, do you have a favorite product slash flavor? Yeah, the UCAN Edge strawberry and banana flavor. It mm. tastes just like a smoothie. It's so good. Like I look forward to it every time and I've never looked forward to taking anything during runs before, but it's just so refreshing and so good and fruity and sweet and it's, it's just everything. I'm very, very happy that they came out with that product. I love it. Emma, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking with you and I can't wait to cheer for you as you tackle this 10K. Stay loose, stay you. yourself and uh, no pressure and go crush it. Yeah, it was so nice meeting you guys. And yeah, I hope you have a good time in Japan and California. When do you, when do you go to Colorado, John? Probably it'll be in, in about a month or two. Uh, okay. we're, he graduates in, in June, beginning of June. So we're scoping out just a couple of the top schools that he's leaning towards. So it'll be pretty soon. Yeah. 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 You'll get a feel for the, the Colorado winter a little bit. Yeah. We need to. Yeah. We need to know. <laughs> Emma, have a great run. Sorry we kept you Thank a little you. long. We, we will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Bye, Emma. Bye. All right, John. Out. Oh. 
thought we should hop back on here and just share some thoughts because what a fun conversation with Emma. Everything about her just resonates with the stuff that I believe in, in terms of what leads to success, you know, to talk about the journey at the end, her focus on the process just completely resonated with me. Yeah, I absolutely loved this conversation. There was just so many relatable points just as a human being, as a person, but especially as a runner, I loved the way that she talked about certain aspects of her journey and what she's doing to better herself, to just be a better person, to be a more balanced person. I think balance was probably one of the bigger themes yeah, she brought that, up that a came times. out of this conversation. Yeah, I, mm. I really loved I, I loved everything about um, chatting with her. And it's the first time I've ever spoke with Emma, and I loved everything about the conversation. You know, I didn't get the chance to say it to her on the show, but I I really uh, have adopted this this framing of balance uh, from a book I read called The One Thing, which is that there's no such thing as as like work life balance. The only work life balance is a point in time. Like what you're striving for is work life balancing, and that slight difference in framing, like you're, it's a constant process of balancing. Like there's a, it's, it requires mm-hmm. constant adjustments. It's not something you're going to achieve and sustain forever without actively continuing to work on it. And that has always resonated with me because I think that's the way life really is, right? Like your right. balance, you have it for a moment, but there's a lot of things that can upset your balance and you have to be constantly adjusting and planning for those things if you want to sustain any any semblance of balance. Yeah, and then you have to find things that can help you in those in any given moment, right? Yeah. To help you to continue to find balance, right? Because you're balancing mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, I think that that's just one of those things where you got to think through it for yourself and figure out exactly what you need. And sometimes it might be, it might look imbalanced to other people, but maybe it is spending more time running versus socializing. And sometimes it's socializing more than it is running. And that in turn helps you to perform better on the track or on the road and or be more relatable in your social life and so um or in your relationships. So yeah, I think that what she talked about was a hundred percent um relevant to finding success and, and performing at your best or being your best in life in general. But there is that little nuance that I'm actually really glad that you point out, which is it is a balancing act. Yeah, to, balancing to act. Find exactly. balance. Well, you know, the other thing is I am not a super emotional person. And obviously we all have our emotions. You go through your ups and downs, but I would say my peaks and valleys are, are not as extreme as a lot of other people, right? But I think that the fact that she's so aware of the role her emotions play in her training and the, the role that mm-hmm. being happy and being in a positive, like fulfilling environment has on the work that she's doing on a daily basis. I also just sort of like, I think that's something that's really easy to dismiss. Like in the podcast, we, I, I made the point about how I feel about environment, but I actually really, I think that point is really true too. If you're not happy, you're overcoming that negativity in order to try to do good work. And anything you're trying to overcome is holding you back. Yeah. Well, you call it friction. I do. Yeah. I always just call it sort of friction or yeah, negative forces, whatever. Yeah, exactly. These are yeah. like, I tend to boil everything down into my little uh, visual mental models and stuff. Right. But I think it is friction. Right. And it's, you know, it, it's hard to get yourself into an environment that contributes to you being happy all the time for, for many people. Right. But if you can do yeah. that, I think it helps to unlock, you know, all the work that you're trying to do. It helps make it possible. <laughs> 
I mean, I think that a, a state of happiness, and I think she's finding this, and this is why I think she's finding success, is not necessarily being happy all the time, right? Because we all know that that's not realistic. But finding a state of happiness is, I think, a byproduct of understanding who you are and what works for you and how to handle things as things happen, right? Yeah. It's your reaction to what's happening to you, not necessarily what's, what's happening to you that's the bad thing. It's how you're seeing it, how you're responding to it. And I think that when something comes up, if you know who you are, what really matters to you and how you should approach it in a way that works for you and is honest and true to you, I think you're going to be in, honestly in this state of happiness where you're able to work through things faster and move forward in a positive way versus feeling stuck as soon as something bad happens, the world is ending kind of a feeling. That's obviously not true, but I think it's hard to feel like it's not true if you don't feel good about who you are. And I think that that's what's so cool about her story and what I, I feel like watching all these clips and and listening to all these different podcasts and reading these articles about her. And I'm like, man, it sounds like she's somebody who's figured out a great deal about who she really is as a person and her high performances are a byproduct of figuring it out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was really cool getting to talk to Emma about what she's doing. And, and I, I'm super excited to see what she does coming up in these races because she's been yep. on a roll for a while and she's obviously got the right mindset and mentality to to do great in the future. So um, yeah, really cool. I'm really glad. Uh, thanks for hopping on after to, to chat a little bit. I really think it's nice to be able to recap and think through some of these ideas from the show that have affected me in the moment. Yeah, always fun, man. I definitely feel like there was a lot of cool takeaways. It's great to kind of get to chat about it a little bit. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we will see you soon.